Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Code Rush with me, Jay George, and my co-host, Rob DeCourt. Hello. Good day, everybody. How are you, Jay? I'm very good. What have you been up to these past two weeks? Mostly King's Coronation-related things that I've not been really up for, but have been coerced into, like, probably, probably the most of the UK. I almost forgot I have to formally congratulate you on your new king and queen. You must be so excited. Very excited, and I'm sure in less than uh, a decade we'll be going through it again. Long live right, the king. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably. Good. And you, have, you, have you done any work? Um, not really. <laughs> I'm actually I'm, okay. I'm waiting for a couple of big projects to drop. And while I do that, I'm, you know, pittering away on, uh, on our own side project, Code Rush. So I'm trying to build the website. Not sure it's totally needed, but it's a vanity project. So why not? There you go. Life of a freelancer, not doing much and working on vanity personal projects. And how about your king? Something about blankets and kids? Oh, yeah, we celebrated his whatever birthday two weeks ago. I think it's a yearly thing. Um, I have to say I'm, I'm not into kings and queens. Uh, I'd rather have the Netherlands be a republic, but maybe we shouldn't go into that and scare off everyone. But um, yeah, my kids sold toys and stuff on a blanket on the market square. That's, that's a th tradition here that kids and people sell their old shit. For King's Day. For his birthday. Totally yeah. puzzling to me, but... <laughs> I can imagine. I'm sure the coronation was full of um, strange and wonderful things for you as well. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember watching it, but probably. And I've had two weeks off uh, as well, because the kids were off school. And what I did was basically prepare me on myself for the freshly released Statomic version 4. Some of you might know I run a starter kit for it and it takes a lot of time and I had to prepare everything to make it work. Rewrite a whole bunch of documentation and um, this past Tuesday they released it so I could release it. And now everything is quiet and I can start up on projects again, client work. That's great. We, so, we need the money. Yeah. I, was, um, I was somewhat chuckling to myself. Uh, one of the people I follow on Twitter, Mastodon, uh, Elliot J. Stocks, his name is, and one thing he said in his recent newsletter was, uh, I'm really good at filling my time with projects that rarely make any money. And boy, did I feel that. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, I've never really done much side projects apart from this, but it's also scratching my own itch. I use it on, like on every project I do myself. So I'm not sure if it really counts. Um, although we just started this podcast, so there's side project number two. I think that the main thing for me is it re-energizes me for, for the paid stuff. Right. Um, so, and I don't feel like quite as anxious when I'm doing paid stuff because I can, I can just get on with that, try and bring in the money and think that, you know, later on in the week I can do whatever I want, like mess around with, um, something like view transitions, maybe. Yeah. That's a lovely segue, Jay. Uh, so one of the things me and Rob talked about was trying to focus maybe on on three topics for each episode that we're going to do. So today, I think we're going to talk about view transitions, the dangers of picking a content management system or a small content management system, and whether Safari is actually an evergreen browser, which is still a confusing topic in my mind. Okay. 
let's go for a few transitions. And I would like to add, and we can probably skip this from the final episode, but we should probably talk about the dangers and advantages of picking a small CMS. You can start. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been on both <laughs> those sides of the fence with the, the dangers and the advantages, so I can talk from experience. But let's talk about view transitions. If you don't know what view transitions are, here we go. What, what do you think view transitions are, Rob? On iOS or on Android, we're pretty much used to having smooth transitions between certain pages, let's call it that, of your app, having header bars slide in smoothly, content sliding in from the right to the left, or when you go back in an app, it usually neatly slides from the left to the right. But on the web, we really can't do that, right? Can we? Because there's a page refresh. No. And I think the View Transitions API is, it's its relatively new. It's only available in Chrome currently. Um, and it should allow single page app users to make fancy transitions uh, based on CSS. Could make the user experience of websites better, I think, in the future. Although I also have some concerns, which I'll save for later. So, so the way I see it is that view transitions are kind of the web's answer to the app store. And every client that you come across basically clambers for an app. And at some point they'll say, oh, you know, can we have, can we make an iOS app? Can we make an Android app? And for me, there are really only two reasons to make an app, unless it's very complicated. But normally like a, a website would suffice, except that people... Number one, want to be on the app store because that's like a big selling point. And number two, they want that kind of smoothness that comes with apps where if you if you click something, it doesn't feel like a, a notch where the page just totally. loads yeah. really clumsily. It sort of transitions into the next to the next page. So that particular part, I mean, we can't get the app store, but that particular part we've always been clambering for on the web. And there are definitely some frameworks out there that can make that happen. I think Next.js is is one of those frameworks, um, but we've never had it natively. And lo at long last, we've now got this in some form um, because at the moment it's in Chrome and it's actually, I believe, in Chrome stable. And yeah, it is. you asked Jen Simmons from Apple whether it was going to happen in, in Safari and I don't think she's replied to you yet. It seems like there's some positive signals from Firefox at least. So let's let's hope it becomes something that is cross-browser. Yeah, I agree. I, I, this is one of my worries. Uh, will this be a thing that Apple decides to implement in like four years' time? Uh, are they holding off on it because it might cannibalize their App Store sales? Um, we, we can only guess why those companies do what they do, but um, that's one of my worries. Is this going to ship soon? And personally, as a web developer... If something is only available in one browser and it's quite a lot of work to implement, um, however easy it's perceived to be, it takes quite the commitment to implement this in, in your single page app. I, I probably would skip it until it's readily available in mm -hmm. all modern browsers. Yeah, I understand that. That makes my interest go down significantly. Usually with new stuff, I remember Flexbox and CSS Grid being announced. I held off on it until it was available in all browsers. Then I did a course and I was like, okay, yeah, can use it now. Yeah, I think one of the confusing things is is if you if you try and sort of jump the queue 
then you might learn something that changes. Uh, I certainly feel that way about the scroll timeline. Um, I think there's been some syntax changes with that. So understand your apprehension. However, for me, this is like the gold dust. This is what... Is it? Every client seems to... Yeah, well, I th maybe my clients are different to yours, Rob. Uh, I always get the people that, that want, want all, that fancy, all that fancy rubbish, like I talked about last time. So if I can give them some of that, then it gets me out of jail. So in preparation for this episode, I tried to implement a few transitions. And this is where tell us, I might feel a slight apprehension about them. So in my mind, view transitions were very much going to be kind of like reliant on CSS and you might need like a couple of lines of JavaScript. But the reality is, so I've got them working, I've got them working, but it seems like the, the API is pretty open-ended and it reminds me a little bit of working with Greensock in that you kind of need to come up with a lot of the stuff yourself. It's not just like, oh, here's, here's a couple of lines. So for example, when I dug into the, the demos that I found online, a lot of them, they, they provide the, the tweening. So it's like the, the, mm -hmm. the mechanism to go between one state and the other, but it's totally up to you how you load in that content to the point where like, if you check out any of the, of the demos that Chrome have provided, there's like comments littered all the way through saying, this is a really scrappy way of doing this. Don't do this in production. Oh, that's surprising. I didn't go as far to, yeah. as to dig into all the the code net needed to, to do those transitions. But what I understood is what, what they're aiming for is like you can set certain areas on your site, give them an anchor, and with a few lines of JavaScript, the browser should be able to handle transitions between pages from one anchor to the same anchor on the other page. So if you have, if you have implemented the, the JavaScript needed to, to do few transitions, what I thought is it, it would be as simple as to use CSS to transition the same anchors between the first and the second page and then do whatever you want there. But in there, you, from my mind, you would be in CSS land. And that didn't seem that daunting to me, but you actually tried it. Yeah, so... There is like a tiny bit of CSS, but it seems to be mostly to me quite actually JavaScript heavy. So in their demo, and, and this is like a Chrome demo, what they've done mm -hmm. just to get you started is is once the view transition completes, they've got like document.body.innerHTML equals content so that they're just like replacing the whole document, the, the content in the document right. with the, the next page. And uh, here they've said... This is a pretty heavy-handed way to update page content. In production, you'd likely be modifying DOM elements directly or using a framework. In a HTML is here just to keep the DOM update super simple. I think I understand why, why they are doing that, because as of now, the API only supports single-page applications, right? So would you, you would need a framework like React or Next.js, which is built upon React to handle all your routing and mm -hmm. all your URL changes. But when you're in an app like that, you're basically on a single page. It's a single page app. And the, the, the body actually, the browser actually doesn't refresh, right? So JavaScript injects new stuff into your current view. And only then you can use this API to do the transitions. 
I've read that they will work on an updated spec for the API so that you can do tra transitions between actual page refreshes, classic browsing. Okay. Um, um, so that's probably why they start out with, um, hey, let's inject this whole stuff in the browser. So, so we're kind of simulating this is an, a single page app. So I guess those comments kind of make sense in that regard. Right. And the other thing we talked about is you were going to explain the difference between an SPA and what's the other one, like an MPA, I guess, multiple page application. That's basically what I, what I just what I just explained, right? You either have a page refresh or you have an app like Ploy, which you know, where not a single page request is involved. Does that mean that the URL doesn't change? Does that mean the URL uh, just well, stays the same? Or? JavaScript handles that. So right. JavaScript handles handles the routing with something like whatever. I don't know how these packages are called. Um, JavaScript handles the routing, and that means you can still share a URL, enter an app, and then that the actual JavaScript app will fetch all the content that belongs to your current URL, as opposed to classic browsing, right? Where you hit an URL, hit enter, send a request to a server, get back HTML, and present that. Okay, so, uh, so, this is interesting because I, um, I didn't read about all this, so this, this is new information to me. So basically, you could argue that we currently can't use view transitions. We, we don't create single-page apps in our, in our daily lives. At least I don't. I don't think you do. No. But they are going to change this. And you could, you could, of course, still use view transitions now if you don't change URLs. So on a single request, you could fetch in data and then use a view transition to present that data and remove some other bit or something. That That's still completely possible. So that, that's what I've managed to get working. But as I say, it's uh, a little bit clunky and probably for the reasons that you just mentioned. So still for me, it's like the, the nirvana of shutting up clients. <laughs> uh, so I, I will yeah, right. continue keeping an eye on it. But at the moment, not particularly front-end designer friendly. Well, at least not when you do classic front-ending like you and me. So, currently, I don't think we can use them because there are no full document transitions. Only transitions for single-page apps, which, which, which we don't do. Although the internet wants us to do it. No, we're the old gods. It's not going to happen. <laughs> we are, exactly. <laughs> and there's something that, that piqued my interest as well. So, one of the reasons they... They set out to, to create this API was to, to make the perceived loading latency faster, right? Because you're animating stuff. Um, but as soon mm -hmm. as this would work for full page refreshes, I mean, you must have seen sites, regular WordPress sites or sites running whatever CMS, where they add something like Barba.js to make page transitions, right? Right, yeah, like a third-party solution. Yeah, that's not really making the loading latency faster. That's just adding a, a shitty animation to something that's already freaking fast. So whenever they open up this API to, to, regular, to, to regular browsing, I'm afraid we're going to get a whole lot of more waiting time. But do you not think that's just going to be like the beginning? A bit like when people got like CSS3 transitions, uh, people went kind of nuts for them. Fair in the enough, beginning. yeah. But now you don't really, you don't see them getting in the way of things. Fair enough. That, that's true. That's my hopes and dreams anyway. <laughs> well, I'm with you, hoping with you. <laughs> you want to move on to the next, next topic, Jay? 
Yeah, let's do it. So after view transitions... The dangers and advantages of picking a small CMS. Let's do it. I can definitely talk about it. Because <laughs> uh, I think you have some experience in picking a small CMS. Yeah. A bad experience. Right. So, so I'll tell everyone about my journey. So originally when I started doing website work, I think WordPress as, as it is now, it was one of the biggest CMSs. At that time, it was like WordPress, Joomla, and Drupal were the, the big three. And by far and large, WordPress was the, the most user experience and developer experience uh, friendly CMS. So I kind of went all in on WordPress. Then at some point, I started fresh and I got fed up with WordPress and I analyzed all the, the CMSs out there. And I chose a little CMS called Perch. And I loved Perch. Which is a cute name. Great little CMS. It has all like custom fields built into it, like, like WordPress doesn't have. So as, as a front-end designer, it's, it's much better for creating a custom design. And that was great for about three years. And then because Perch was only really run by two people, they got bought out basically. And the company that bought them out was like a totally different culture. They, they were really not aligned with All right. like the, the web culture. They didn't really care. Like their customer service was awful. So for me, it, it dropped off a cliff edge. And that's actually when I started going looking for other CMSs and eventually ended up with Statamic. Did they even continue developing it? Um, as far as I'm aware, it's still running, but they switched to like okay. a subscription model. So that they wanted all their clients to pay like a monthly fee, which can understand. It, it was more like, I, I don't know, like the, the culture wasn't there. It wasn't like people that loved yeah. developing a CMS. It was more like a, like a business, like an ownership kind of takeover. How, how can we make money off of this thing? Yeah, exactly. Instead of making, so, how can we make a great product and a good living? Yeah, so so that switch effectively forced me out of the CMS, and I had to start all over again. And that that was something I never really thought could happen. To be quite honest, I, I thought I was put my money behind like an indie product that was going to be there for yeah. a long time, and it was going to be great for my clients. And I would never have to entertain the idea of, of, of switching to a different CMS, but it happened. So that, that's definitely the bad side yeah. of a small CMS. That is the danger. But you could argue stuff like this could happen as well with, with like a bigger CMS. I mean, I, I used to use WordPress for about eight years, I think. And of course, you, you just can't use WordPress without advanced custom fields, um, which is a plugin and got acquired or got taken over by Delicious Brains at first, and now by WP Engine, I think. Uh, I'm not even sure. What I do know is that the, the current company that has the ownership of ACF isn't valued as the, the greatest company, with all the little knowledge that I have about this. But the point I want to make, I think, is this really something that is only lurking danger when the CMS is small, or is this something that could happen anyway? Um. Mm. I think there's a lot that there's less risk of things dropping off a cliff when you you go with a the bigger CMS. Fair, yeah. And it's yeah. it's definitely the back of my mind. Like even as much as I I love Statamic, it's still effectively like 
two core members and like or maybe three core members and then yeah, a, a, a few support people, staff yeah so so i'm hoping it's like the best of both worlds in that, that it's big enough not to sink but still like a culture behind it but at the same time there's definitely like a, a, a small risk that it could you know could change whereas if you go with something bigger yeah. like wordpress or craft like craft is quite big right yeah i think they have 10 to 15 people it was one of my worries as well when I switched from WordPress to Statomic. I, I was like, hey, but this is a three-person company. What if someone comes under a bus? I mean, it must be a question that, that they hear like every week. What gave me comfort was like, hey, um, we've been doing this for 10 years. If shit hits the fan, we will open source this whole thing. Of course, it is almost open source already now. So that mm -hmm. gave me some comfort. Um, but but I was like, hey, Craft CMS, which, which was, was my... I was doubting between Craft and Statomic. Craft has like mm -hmm. ten to fifteen people. It gave me a it gave me a more a better feeling of of this one cr crash immediately. I'm looking for words here. Excuse me, um, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I mean, to be quite honest, like for me, it wasn't really uh, whether anyone anyone left the job or got injured. <laughs> God forbid. It was more like, like with these small companies, there's a lot of over time and like it sort of takes over your life and that that's definitely what i felt happened with perch is that the the burden of support and um only being run by a couple of people was overwhelming yeah. and pr probably quite a miserable lifestyle from what i can guess despite the rewards being there so that's why i'm always i'm always like conscious about that the mental state of of people that are working on these products because product word must be hard As, oh yeah when i see them do a big release or something I, I really hope that they go away on holiday and just relax so that they can continue to enjoy Have a their few existence yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the biggest likelihood is burnout right yeah i feel you totally and um yeah i worry for those guys as well because the support burden must be hard the users are super demanding Everybody wants new features all the time. Everybody finds bugs and their bugs are the most important ones and they should be fixed straight away. And they simply can't do all that, right? I, I, wonder, I wonder how it feels, how it would be. Um, I, but I agree, it, it doesn't always seem seems like the most relaxing type of job you can have. Yeah, and, that, and that's another reason why whenever it comes to like license costs and things like that, I'm more than happy to give them money because I think, well, I oh, gotta yeah. make it, gotta make it worth their while. Otherwise, uh, you know, there's there's no way they're gonna stick around. Well, that was actually one of my advantages that I'd written down is that it's super nice to support a small business. You you, you get to know the people who who spend your money, and, and and you get to keep them doing what they seem to like to do most. Yeah, I really love that. Absolutely. And um, something else I found. An advantage of, of picking a small CMS is, for me, it's been so much easier to find work because there are not many developers, at least not, not in, in my country, that use Statomic. Um, but there are people who are actively looking for Statomic developers. So I get tons of emails from folks who, who, who said, hey, I, I was Googling Statomic developer in the Netherlands and I found you and you run this starter kit. So uh, can you work for us? So that's really great. Finding work has been so much easier. And I think that would have been different if I picked Craft. And it definitely was different when I was still doing WordPress work because 
you can get a WordPress developer on every corner of the street, right? And they're probably quoting less an hour than I do. Yeah, that is the thing with WordPress. I always think of WordPress as a, a, a dichotomy between the ACF people that just like throw advanced custom fields, uh, everything, and then like the the more hardcore WordPress developers that want to do everything like the the strict way, like the official way. So they might be using um, Gutenberg or um, yeah, they have some some deeper knowledge under the hood of WordPress that is not just you know drag and drop. Uh, what, what do they call them? Implementers. Have you heard of that term? Implementers. Nope. Um, so an implementer, an implementer is someone that might know about websites, but not really anything beneath the surface. So, so a good example might be right. someone that offers like Squarespace uh, I see development. The people who use Elementor or something to, right. to build websites. So, so, so they they could build yeah. stuff, but if you ask them to do anything deeper than drag and drop, then then they're in trouble. <laughs> right. That's an implementer. When their client says, hey, my page request is 12 megabytes. Can you fix this? They're like, uh, what? No, no, can do. Yeah. yeah, they might look for a plugin or something, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and something else, um, I was doing WordPress and I was actually, WordPress scared me off because they focused on Gutenberg. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to write React to give my clients a shitty interface to edit their websites with. Um, okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating here. You can do wonderful stuff with WordPress, but it wasn't the type of work I wanted to do. And with WordPress, I can't steer anyone. It's just... It, it's a train that keeps on rolling, right? And either you're on or you're off. And with a smaller CMS, you might even have some some leeway to to steer where the product is headed. Right. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that smaller CMSs move a lot faster. For example, uh, WordPress, they need to support all the legacy installations. And so uh, yep. Gutenberg seems to be this like 10-year plan they've had I remember um, I was still using WordPress in 2015 and me and uh, my business partner mm -hmm. at the time, we went to like a big meetup, like a WordCamp in Vienna. And they were, they were talking about it then. That was like 2015. That was eight years ago. And it's still, I guess it's like officially out That's now. That's insane. Yeah. But I, I, I did a WordPress is, project yeah. about a year ago and I spoke to, um, I mean, definitely like a certified expert then. And their words of advice for me were, it's not time yet to use Gutenberg, use advanced custom fields. So I think it's like this huge monolith they, they need to maneuver to get in place. Whereas with a smaller CMS like Satamic, which they've just released version four now, we get all these amazing goodies and um, we get yeah. them fast. We get them fast, yeah. I agree, and I have to say, I haven't worked with Gutenberg, so I'm talking about something that I never actually worked with. I only decided like five years ago, I don't want to work with it. I, I honestly don't know how it is today. Maybe it's fantastic. Uh, it certainly is for some developers, I'm sure. I just wanted to, one thing you just mentioned is that they need to, WordPress needs to support legacy installations. Mm. I, I don't agree. I think WordPress chooses to support legacy installations. It's an active choice for them to support old PHP versions and to make the web basically unsafer. And that's that's a big difference from having a CMS that's built on a framework like Laravel, right? Where you have to update your PHP every two, one or two years because otherwise you won't get updates and, and your site will be vulnerable to attacks. 
I think it, that's a much more sane approach to software development. Actively make sure that stuff is safe and up to date. I agree, but I wonder whether that's because of the audience of, of the people that use WordPress. So you might get a lot of, as we've just talked about, implementers uh, in the WordPress ecosystem. Yeah. Whereas like, people that use Laravel might be a bit more hardcore. The people that use WordPress, there must be a huge range of, of different abilities. And so although it yeah, is an active uh, yeah, choice, feel, yeah. the... the then nuts are in a vice, <laughs> you know, like they've got to do it. No. Otherwise it's a problem. So, but just, just so that we're being fair now, we are going to get a WordPress developer expert uh, on the show at some point. He's agreed to it and he, he has used Gutenberg oh, and uh, I'm sure he'll have a point of view, which I'm very interested to listen to because I'm, I'm by no means yeah, writing it off, to just hear. saying what I've heard and, you know, same for you, Rob, I'm, I'm sure you've got an open mind. Yeah, I mean, my brother works at a really big agency in the Netherlands, I think like 50, 60 people or something, um, and they exclusively use WordPress. And they make fantastic websites for a, a Dutch broadcasting, for example. Um, I mean, you can make fantastic stuff with WordPress. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> you can do fantastic stuff with WordPress. It's just not a software that I want to use anymore. Right. Agreed. And let's get your friend on soon. Yeah, we shall. So that we can appear to be a very open-minded podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep up appearances. <laughs> Speaking of keeping up appearances. <laughs> Safari has been keeping up appearances. Wow. A lot of good segues uh, on this pod. So the final thing we wanted to talk about was a question that's been on my mind for quite a while. And one of the things I was going to say to you, Rob... That I forgot to mention last time. Okay. When we were saying why we wanted to start this podcast, is one of the reasons was it forces me to research stuff. And one of the things I really wanted to research, but I couldn't be bothered, is whether Safari is actually an evergreen browser or not. Because to me, it seems a little bit blurred. The answer for me is simple. Um, I think it's not because it won't update itself. And the updates are tied to. The operating system. Well, the point of evergreen browsers is is making sure people remain on the latest version of browser tech, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, the way Apple handles Safari updates is actively not doing that. They're tying them to bigger bi-monthly operating system updates. So for me, I would say great updates, but it's not an evergreen browser. But from what I understand, it has changed slightly because... At the moment, I think the point the the point releases, so like fifteen point four point one or something, they're not mm -hmm. tied to the major Mac OS updates. They're just like they run in the background. But you need to approve Safari them. Safari updates? Are, are you sure? I think so. I've never seen that happen. So if you go to system settings and then updates, yeah, it will update Safari independently. I think that's only the tech preview. Yeah, like ninety nine percent positive. It's not. It's it. It only does that for the tech preview. So you never get like point updates from Safari as an app. No, never. Only for the yeah for the, like like the Canary version of Safari. Oh, that that sucks. Yeah. So yeah, for for me, I, I'm I'm like one hundred percent sure it doesn't do updates that way. So which version are you on now? If it now? did, it would be great. 
You're on 16.4? 16.4, yeah. And then, because if I go to Safari and then about, it's got 16.4 and then it's got like a, it's got like a long number in brackets. Yeah, so you've got that number. as well? Yeah. So is yours 186, Yeah, that's like the build number. So you, you think we got the same? Yep. Ah, uh, that does suck. Like, like 99% sure this version, 16.4, and this build number is tied to Ventura 13.3.1. And yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure it will only update when, when that Ventura number increases. But is it different on iOS? No, it's the same. So it's tied to the iOS version? Yep. And I think I, I, think I understand why Apple does it this way and why it hasn't changed thus far. Because um, you could argue, hey, the tech preview can update itself super easily. It's an independent update in my software update panel. It takes like 20 seconds and we're done. But the tech preview is like a, a sandboxed version of Safari, whether the, the real Safari is being used in all web views across all of Apple's OSs, right? So mm -hmm. every app that presents a browser interface is actually using Safari's technology. So Safari is really, it's, it's, it's not a single app. It uses core technology that, it, that is in, probably in a big framework somewhere in macOS. So that's, that's why I think it is the way it is. I hope they can change it because it would be better, but I doubt they will anytime soon I'll, I'll be honest i think it's the single worst reason to use safari and from whatever i researched a lot of people seem to agree as well yeah it sucks i agree yeah i don't know if you remember but um it was actually in february last year when jen simmons i'm not sure how long she's been at safari actually but it seemed like one of her spearheaded moments where she tweeted and tried to get like feedback about Safari. What do you want to get changed? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got the tweet here as part of my research for the pod. And she says, Oh, cool. Everyone in my mentions saying Safari is the worst. It's the new IE. Can you point to specific bugs and missing support that frustrates you? Blah, 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 blah. Like basically tell yeah, me exactly what's wrong. Do you know how many replies she got? She got like 1,641 replies, something crazy like that. <laughs> And was this like two years ago or? No, this is one year ago. This is February, 2022. Oh, wow. I wonder what changed since then. Because they did add a hell of a lot of stuff that make our life easier. Yeah, I still think it's the same problem though, because for sure, like the new Safari releases are amazing. But whenever I have problems with clients, it's, it's always because they're on like a slightly older version of Safari. Yeah. And even stuff like... As part of my research for the pod, I did like a, a, a real life test of, of like what people are on. So I went around my office and just checked what version of, of Safari everyone was on. And Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So I found like, like two people on the latest, which was like 16.4. And then there were also two wow. people on 16.3. And there was one person on 16.2. And this is, this is like a tech savvy agency, right? A design yeah, firm. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, it doesn't sound a lot in that, like, there's, there's only a few points of the, the browser version behind. But the problem is, like, in between those point versions, there, there were major things that shipped, like, like has, for example. I mean, has is in, like, CSS, has brackets, uh, where you can query the content of stuff. And I wanted to use yeah. that to progressively enhance the site. And I, I leaned on it quite a bit. And I, I could have, like, pretty much been fine doing that but because people on 
a few points behind and I had no idea when they were going to update, I really had to plug those experiences to make sure that they, they weren't missing anything. And so, so someone replied to Jen saying, if browser updates weren't coupled to OS updates, many of the legitimate complaints would vanish. The reason people make counterproductive complaints about fixed bugs is that users still experience them because Safari isn't evergreen. And I, I think that that's it. I think like no one would complain if, if everything was updated really regularly then Safari would be an amazing browser because in the tests of like what they support right now, I think for a lot of things, they're actually ahead of Chrome. But because users, yeah, are, are, think, users are dragging behind a little bit, it's always the problem child. And especially clients of our users and the clients of our clients are dragging behind. I totally agree with you. I totally, it's a hurdle to update your OS. The folks postpone it. So I, re- I agree with the sentiment and I think the... Safari would be perceived differently if it were a true evergreen browser. I wonder, did Jen ever respond to, to those comments? Um, I couldn't see any replies specifically about the, the evergreen comments. I wonder whether that's just because she knows she can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it would be quite a challenge for Apple to actually do that. Or maybe they have to detach the Safari that we use like as an app from the the web view frameworks that are maybe, I mean, they could lack a few versions behind and be tied to OS updates. Yeah. Just I give think us so. the regular Safari that is up to date, right? I, even that would be more helpful. Yeah, absolutely. If, if it just behaved the same way as uh, Safari Preview did, that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, it seems, it seems like in Europe, uh, Apple has to give people like a way to sideload apps on their phones possibly next fall with iOS 17. So who knows what they're going to do. They, uh... I'm sure there were some rumors about like Firefox had developed um, like a mobile app that ran on, is it Gecko that uh, Firefox ran on now? Their rendering engine? I honestly do not know. It was Gecko. I don't know if they renamed it. Yeah, I think, I think multiple vendors have been doing that because there were rumors that, that Apple was opening up the browsers, probably because the... European Union is making them. This is an interesting topic I don't know enough about. We should add this to the list for a future episode because, um, yeah, there's interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, also, uh, that's tied to the, like, the lightning cable stuff, isn't it? Like they, they can't use lightning cable anymore. They need to use USB-C. Yep. <laughs> but you know that they probably won't, won't offer a way to uh, sideload apps in the United States because they don't have those regulations, right? And if they don't offer that over there, are there even going to be a lot of apps available to sideload? That is an interesting divide. Yeah. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) On that note, let's call it a, let's call it a night. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Jay. This was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Cheers, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. See you next time, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.